Um, I have Welcome to the Bucket Problem episode four written here. Uh, that's that's definitely not it. Uh, Welcome to the Bucket Problem episode 43. Uh, just check the hard drive. Uh, we are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, I am your host, A. Sandbender, and uh, once again, I am joined by Dan, a.k.a. Thick Stauskas. Uh, we're going to do some uh, big moods, some basketball, and uh, Dan's O-line rankings for this year. So, uh, Dan, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Um, yeah, no, definitely not uh, spending all day getting mad about machine admissions. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, uh, uh, generally, uh, generally, I'm, uh, generally, I'm good. Uh, how about you, Ace? I'm um, I'm doing all right. I've got uh, a few uh, wagers. I'm waiting to uh, see the outcome for on the first four picks of the NFL draft. Um, and I think on that note, I've just uh, lobbed up a softball for you to uh, <laughs> hit us with your big boot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I guess uh, I I was rooting for really one thing uh, as far as the NFL draft goes, and that's Aiden Hutchinson to, to be taken uh, number one overall, which um, would be nice to see. But uh, overall, I feel like, you know, I feel like the, the NFL draft, I'm a big NFL fan, um, probably my second favorite sport behind college football. Uh, big NFL fan, but I really have just never been able to get into the NFL draft. Um, it's a big, you know, people really enjoy it. Um, people like get their takes out about like who they think, you know, is going to be a bust and who isn't. And I just like, I can't get into any of that. I will get, I mean, like, and this is not like an attention span thing or, um, you know, like I know, like I don't have the most discerning taste. I mean, I, I get pretty in the weeds about college football in a way that I feel like a lot of people probably just like don't care about at all, which is totally understandable. I just, I, I guess I just don't understand the appeal. I feel like it's, it's so hard to, I like, I have my guys that I, you know, I, I would like the Eagles to pick, um, but I feel like I'm just wrong all the time. It's, it's like impossible to tell who's going to be good and who isn't. And you end up getting like these draft grades afterwards. And it's just like, they, they end up being completely wrong. Um, and you know, like, look, I follow recruiting, so I understand that <laughs> nothing's, nothing's a sure thing. Um, but I, I guess like recruiting, I can root for as like a kind of a sport where it's like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, we, we objectively had like a better class than like this other team or whatever. Whereas the NFL, it's like, wow, you know, they got this guy and the, he's got a good grade or whatever, but you can't, you like, I have no idea whether this guy's going to be good or not. Even like the top five picks are 50, 50 at best. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to watch the draft. Um, <laughs> well, actually, no, I probably, <laughs> actually, no, I probably won't. Cause like, the Sixers are on tonight. So um, I, I'll watch to see where Aiden gets drafted and where, uh, and if Dax and Ojabo go in the first round. Um, and that's good for Michigan as a program. So like in, in that, in that way I care, but yeah, I don't know. The NFL draft's just not my thing. I mean, they did try to turn it into like an like a half week long experience, and that that was kind of pushing it for me. Uh, I enjoyed when it used to be like I think they used to have the first three rounds on one day, and then the rest of it the next day, and it was just a Saturday Sunday thing. It's it's too long. It's too long too. It's yeah. like it, it takes way too long. Like you don't need. What do they give them, like a minute for every pick? That's too much. <laughs> oh, it's way more than that. <laughs> I think yeah, it's what, like what 10 it, minutes. Uh, or yeah. it might be five now. I think they've cut it down recently. But um, like th these teams do like months and months of research. Like give them like 
I don't know. Give them a minute. That's enough to like, you know, if there's like trades on the board, to like I, I do not need to watch this, <laughs> this entire thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it takes too long. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to bill it as a, as a viewer event and move it to Las Vegas and whatnot, then uh, give us an interesting product. Cause I, I can't do the talking heads for like four hours with one pick every 15 minutes. I can, I can, I can have that on in the background with like the playoffs on next to it or something, but um, yeah, uh, pri- it's not great primary viewing material despite the numbers it draws. It just kind of shows us how uh, in- incredibly sick we are about football as a country. Um, it's crazy that uh, it's crazy how um, just rabid this country is for football. Um, it's it truly is like because the 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 organizations that give it to us, give it to us in like the worst way they possibly can. It's just everything is such a chore to watch and we love it. We just, we sl- we slurp it all up. We love it so Look, much. Man, I, I have watched uh Michigan run uh, drills in public. Oh, as, me too. I've... Instead of a spring practice and been happy to be there. Sort of brother. I have, I have recorded, I have set my DVR to record Michigan running drills and uh, watch it at a later date. It's, it's truly <laughs> sickening. Um, but like, I would, I would watch more if they, if they give me more slap, I'll take it. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If they, if they want to release any videos of practice, I'll, I'll be. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, my big mood for the week is not particularly original, but um, at least the initial part is, uh, but Hunter Dickinson announces return to Michigan. And this absolutely does not happen without name, image, and likeness rights. Uh, Dickinson is a player who normally would have been faced with kind of having a chance to catch on as a second rounder or going overseas to get a six or seven figure paycheck. And instead he's going to get what I would assume is in the mid six figures or maybe even low seven figures when it's all said and done to play his junior season at Michigan. And I think that's a fantastic development because Dickinson clearly is somebody who wants to be uh, at Michigan with all, with all else being equal uh, given his current draft stock and uh, that it is actually a financially reasonable option uh, instead of just like the go with your heart play and the kind of betting on yourself in a very, like there's serious risk here uh, kind of way uh, to get, to get past that and into an era, you know, we still have a ways to go where players should just be employees because that's what they are. Um, and this third-party system, I, I don't know how structurally sound and long-term feasible it is, but I am happy with this particular result of it. And I think it's a good, to, you know, the more things get brought above board, the more that you legitimize the college game in a way where I think it becomes more plausible even for guys who have a professional future to stick around for four years. And uh, Dickinson is somebody who is going to make it to three when a lot of people thought he'd be a one and done Uh, and name, image and likeness really changed that. Um, And now Michigan has a player who, I mean, when, when I went through, when I was writing up Dickinson's return, when I was going through Bart Torvik's stat database to kind of find similar players who would come back, like pretty much as soon as you cut off his height and assist rate, you're down to like three guys. <laughs> so it's uh, it's hard to find comparable players to Hunter Dickinson who come back as juniors 
And I am really excited to see what that player looks like. Cause I think um, when I was going through players who kind of brought their three pointer on as a sophomore at that size, uh, the two kind of most comparable guys were uh, Duke's Ryan Kelly and Iowa's Luca Garza. And both of those guys became 40% three point shooters as juniors. Um, you probably remember that with Garza. Uh, so not saying that's guaranteed to happen with Dickinson. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be on a super high volume, but between that, this potential defensive improvements and just continuing to be uh, the all American level player that we've become accustomed to watching over the past two years, uh, that I, this was definitely the player that I was most excited about of the three who could have gone to the NBA. He's the one I'm most excited about uh, coming back. So uh, even if Michigan loses Diabate in, in Houston, this is uh, this is a good offseason. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we're going to bitch about <laughs> Michigan admission some more um, mm-hmm. probably in the next segment. But uh, it's it should be stated like, Getting Dickinson back was something we were talking about not happening um, pretty recently on this podcast and seemed like, you know, like that's that's a huge win for the program. And, you know, I, I hesitate to, um, like you said, Ace, you know, I, I hesitate to say like, oh, this is the way NIL was meant to be because I don't want to like delegitimize the, the guys that are just like getting their bag um, in any way possible. But it is great to see like, yeah, Dickinson's a guy that is – great in college, probably limited NBA upside. And, you know, he's, he's like the Denard Robinson of, of, of Michigan basketball. Like it's great to see this generation of stars that maybe aren't like professionals um, get making a lot of money uh, because they should. And um, the other thing, you know, I, I saw a lot of people like dunking on Dickinson when he were, we announced he was back. Cause like, it's like, Oh, like no one wanted to draft him. And that's probably correct. You know, um, I mean, it's it's uh, like, like he probably wasn't going to get drafted, but I don't care about that at all. You know, it's like kind of a cousin's like my I don't I don't care about the NFL draft uh, take. I mean, I don't care about like, you know, it matters to me what they do at Michigan. And Hunter Dickinson's going to be a great player at Michigan um, for, you know, three years now. And, and hell, maybe more, I guess. I don't know. Technically, he could come back for for three more, which would be very funny. Um, but yeah, no, it's all around great. I'm really happy for him. I'm happy to get to watch him another year. And, uh, you got to think that, uh, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure we got plenty of time to talk off season news, but got to think that like, just on the strength of him coming back, Michigan's probably like the conference favorite. I don't know who else it would be. Honestly, is this is going to be a pretty barren conference next year. It's, uh, yeah, the, it's going to need, need an infusion of transfer talent. I would say, <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's get to it. Uh, some basketball talk. So, uh, as we mentioned, Hunter Dickinson is returning. Um, Musa Diabate and Caleb Houston are officially testing the NBA draft waters. Caleb Houston somehow kept that quiet for like a solid 24 hours after the deadline. Um, not sure how that happens, but uh, it happened. Um, and Diabate also kept it quiet for like 8 to 12 hours after the deadline. It was kind of weird. Um I'm saying that as somebody who may have stayed up until midnight in case all that news came together at once. Um, but uh, both uh, both Diabate and Houston have the option to return. We will see. I, I would be a little surprised if both of them came back just because not that I have any, I, I don't have any inside information on either of these guys. It's just kind of how this tends to work. And also 
since we're talking about name, image, and likeness stuff, it's more complicated in both these guys' cases because uh, they are not American. And so the tax stuff gets a little tricky. And it seems like some programs have found a way around that, um, like uh, Oster Shibwe at, uh, at Kentucky. Um, but uh, I, I think it does make the, the NIL stuff a little trickier to pull off and a little less enticing. Uh, for those players, especially since those players can also, uh, particularly in the case of Diabate, um, you know, go back home and earn a decent paycheck playing playing pro ball. Um, so there's some options there. I don't know. I, I mean, I would be surprised if Caleb Houston is draftable at this point. Uh, he's been noted as a, uh, a guy whose stock has fallen pretty much since the, his freshman year began. And it, he went from being a fringe top 10 pick to not being in any projected mock draft that I've seen recently. Uh, I could see Diabate slipping into the second round uh, because of his athleticism and size and uh, his potential. I mean, that that's a guy who, if it all comes together is absolutely an NBA player. Uh, But uh, I, there was a moment where it seemed like Michigan would be able to paper over either loss uh, by bringing in Texas Tech's Terrence Shannon, who's a athletic six foot six wing, a solid three point shooter, good defender, um, and there was even a uh, retracted uh, report uh, that he had committed to Michigan after he visited campus. Um, and now Sam Webb is reporting uh, on the Michigan Insider that um, Terrence Shannon is unlikely to to come to Michigan and. He directly mentioned um, issues with transferring credits over. This is something that has bit Michigan in the ass repeatedly. (laughs) Uh, And um, it's, uh, I mean, I know, Dan, you have thoughts on this. It's pretty frustrating uh, to run into admissions. (laughs) It's really frustrating to run into admissions issues when it's like, if this was like, if he would have qualified out of high school and he did qualify at another school, you know, why so, Why is it only with regular transfers? Because grad transfers, it works out fine. Why is it only with mid, mid-year transfers or mid-school transfers that uh, um, Michigan cannot relax their admission standards uh, in special circumstances? Because uh, this isn't something that's just limited to sports. Like if you're like an art student or something, like they don't need you to have the same like core GPA as it would if you're applying uh, as just like a general, you know, LSNA student, uh, there are sliding scales for these things. And one thing that takes a lot of time to get very good at it and kind of cuts into your academic time is, uh, being a really excellent college basketball player. Uh, and it, it just, it bothers me that Michigan, I don't know, draws this arbitrary line when, you know, in every other shape and form, this is a big time competitive, you know, division one power conference basketball program. But in this one area, you got to pretend like you're the fucking Ivy league. <laughs> and I mean, not even like, you know, look, so I guess we should, we should, I, a lot of people listening to this probably don't know exactly what we're talking about. Um, the issue is not necessarily admission the issue is the admissions department, not necessarily like admissions itself. 
Terrence Shannon could get into Michigan and, you know, be a student. The issue is that when you transfer to Michigan, you have to match up your courses. And I know this based on friends that transferred into Michigan when I was there. Like, this is across the board. It's just you have to match up your credits exactly to a class that Michigan offers. So the further along you are in your degree, like if you're if you're a freshman, right, it's like, okay, I've got Gen Chem. That matches up to Gen Chem in Michigan, you know, whatever. But the further along you get, the more specialized courses become, the harder it is to find an exact replica. And Michigan's a real stickler about this. Yeah. And um, it's just, you know, I, I, for me, like, it, it, so, so, so it's not necessarily like, you know, high school kids, we've long since passed the point when um, it, Michigan's pretty much letting any, like, D1 football player in that has, like, even marginally good grades. And I'm not saying that as, like, a negative. Like, I think that's, you know, I've, I've always been if of the mind. If they're qualified by NCAA standards, I think Michigan should take them. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've always been of the mind that you're, for instance, if you're, like, a world-class pianist, um, you're not necessarily going to have, like, you know, the maybe the greatest grades in Calc 3. And who gives a shit? (laughs) And who cares? Like, because you're really good. Like Michigan ostensibly, right? The way we like to think of ourselves is like, you know, you you get into Michigan by being really good at something, right? And whether that's academics, like most kids, or, you know, your chosen area of like what you're, if, if you're an athlete at Michigan, I'm considering that you're majoring in sports. Let's all be honest with each other. And you're majoring at being like, you know, an elite world-class level athlete in football or basketball or track or whatever. And yeah, you should have a degree, you know, of course you should like take classes and and have a degree that you can fall back on assuming you don't go professional in that. And they are required to do that. And they're they're required to do that. And like at Michigan, probably even more than other schools, they actually have to like go to class and everything. But I don't, I think we should just like stop. Why, why do we delegitimize, you know, uh, athletics as a pursuit in of higher education? I mean, it's it's legitimate. It teaches real world, um, you know, skills and and on, like the, even like a third and there's string a professional, football player, you know, sphere for them to graduate into as well. And Michigan, especially, yeah, and Michigan even really even advertises how many like <laughs> professional football players they produce and basketball players they produce. Yeah, exactly. And and even if you don't go pro in that, like you can be a coach. Like there's there's a whole world and infrastructure of jobs you can have, you know, after pursuing a collegiate um, collegiate career in athletics. Yes. So anyway, all that aside, right? I mean. I just, it's all very arbitrary and annoying. And the fact that like, we have to like jump through all these hoops for transfers when I know for a fact that like, yeah, we do make special accommodations for high school athletes. And also, you know, yeah, let's be honest. Like there there are a lot of resources that help Michigan athletes like pass their classes because they spend a ton of time at practice. You know, we make, we make these accommodations in other areas. And so I don't think it's like ridiculous to say like, yeah, it, transfers are a part of the sport. It is different than being a normal student transfer. You're going places to, you know, you're going to another school to play the sport. You're bringing that value to the school. So do I think it's crazy that like, yeah, I wish the admissions office would make a special case for athletes? Um, no, and, I, and not just because it, it, it like suits my personal gain, although that is the main reason that I'm talking <laughs> about it right now. 
True. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care if I did. If I didn't and I mean, and I mean like you mentioned earlier, we also would like to see Michigan relax their transfer standards for everybody. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, and, this is a sports podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is a sports podcast. And I mean, I understand the general reasoning that it's like, we want, we don't want students transferring in with like all their credits from other school. They take like one semester of classes at, at Michigan and then get a Michigan degree. Fine. I mean, like, do I really think that's the, the worst harm in the world? No. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, I, I think you can make a cutout for student athletes, certainly. Um, and I guess I'm done talking about that. I think it's silly. I don't think it's like the end of the program. Like a lot of people tend to get histrionic about it. I mean, um, there are a lot of good grad transfers on the market that Michigan can get. There's a lot of freshmen that they can get that, you know, maybe don't aren't as far along in their academic career. Um, and, uh, it looks like they are going to get, you know, a, a pretty good, um, all, Ivy League uh, guard. Speaking from of Ivy League shit, <laughs> yeah, speaking of bringing Ivy League, yeah, League guard, <laughs> right? Yeah, we got to make sure that we're only taking transfers from the Ivy League or coastal <laughs> or coastal Carolina, the Ivy yes. of Carolina. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> As, uh, many people have hey, said you, that. UNC um, gave it up after their fake class shit, so you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, coastal is. I, I've long said coastal is at least a top ten academic university. Um, but anyway, that's a long long rant. I feel like we're not. I, I'm I'm almost like like sick of talking about it just because it's like I feel like it's been harped on over and over. But I really do feel like it, it's it's not we're not sacrificing the academic standards of the university to make a cutout for like what, I don't know, 10, uh, athletic, 10, um, you know, athletes a year. I mean, come on, it's let's, let's, let's grow up. Let's be adults. Let's run a big time football and basketball program. Yeah. Especially when the issue is over a matter of what, like a semester or two's worth of credits most of the time. I mean, that it's just, well, we, we've harped on it enough, but it sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. Um, but um, as uh, as Dan mentioned, uh, Michigan uh, also, again, according to Sam Webb, is looking pretty good for Princeton grad, grad transfer guard Jalen Llewellyn. Um, I won't get too deep into his whole thing just in case uh, things go sideways once again. Uh, but he was a 39% three-point shooter last year on about six attempts per game. And a, a decent portion of those were uh, off-the-dribble attempts, too. Um, so... You know, 15 point per game score the last two years. Um, somebody who should, at the very least, uh, be a pretty decent third guard uh, and could potentially start if uh, Kobe Bufkin isn't isn't quite ready. Um, he would probably be coming in expecting to start. Michigan's going to need help at guard, and Llewellyn should provide at least high backup quality level play. Like, uh, I mean... Shawnee Brown was kind of the high end of, of what that could be a, a few years ago, but um, Mich- Michigan at least uh, could use an, a third guard and Llewellyn could potentially be more than that. And shooting is also something that's going to be at a premium and Llewellyn should be able to provide that. So if Michigan lands him, uh, that'd be pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, I think he's uh, shooting something that translates. Um, he's uh, also should, should note he, he, he committed to Clemson, so he like other other big time programs have been interested in mm-hmm. interested in him. Um, also, he was a top hundred recruit coming out of high school. I think I saw so like yeah. not a slouch um, athletically, like not not your um, average uh, kind of like undersized um, Ivy League guard. Um, Despite going to the Virginia Episcopal School, 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and a guy that can play off ball while Frankie's on ball, definitely going to need the shooting there. Uh, and there was one other thing I was going to say, Oh, uh, his name's, his name has, his last name has four L's in it. Uh, folks, what is this Texas A&M? Damn. That's good. Right. I was trying to think of a school that like uh, that like normally has goes eight and four, um, and Texas A and M is is gonna get the uh, so, gonna get the brunt of that there joke. Before Iowa, uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, whatever. It's anyway. That's a lot of L's for a last name. I will say it is. Um, but uh, hopefully, we'll land at Michigan because they could uh, definitely use a little a little more help in the backcourt. We are, as always, brought to you by Home Field Apparel. Uh, the big news that we teased. Last week is that Big New Saturday season four uh, starts May 21st. There will be 14 brand new schools that are not currently on Homefield's website. Uh, they will drop uh, in succession each Saturday at noon Eastern starting May 21st. Uh, you can probably deduce some of the uh, schools on the list by just looking at uh, which schools are left to be attained by home field um and subscriptions are back um at twenty dollars per shirt which is a cool 38 percent off uh you can get the shirt of the week handpicked by home field's designers each week uh they do a little formula of their favorite shirt and add some variety so you don't get a bunch of the same colors similar designs and whatnot uh it's a really nice way to uh not totally blow your budget on a ton of home field shirts uh, like I will surely do. Um, but I might actually do the subscriptions this time and see if uh, that saves me from myself. Um, there's also continued refreshes. Uh, we are in the midst of week three, I believe, of refresh stuff. Uh, so far this week, Colorado, Xavier, and West Virginia have dropped. Houston has probably dropped by the time you're listening to this. Uh, that's coming up uh, on Friday. And uh, Fairfield, a new school, uh, is coming up on Saturday. Um, so, uh, and that's going to be a big uh, six shirt drop. So, a bunch of new tees this week. Um, there is also the Thick Six collaboration with Mike Golick Jr. Um, it's uh, uh, celebrating the, uh, the big man touchdown, uh, which is something that is near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, the T-shirt uh, sales. The shirt. All proceeds go to the charity Feeding America. The shirt goes up to size 4XL, and it's on pre-order until April 30th, and they'll sh- ship the week of May 9th. So, if you just search Thick Six uh, at uh, at HomeFieldApparel.com, that shirt will come up. Um, and you can use the promo code Bucket Problem for 15% off your first order. Uh, so yeah. A lot of news on that front, but uh, we love home field, so um, we're happy. Litigation to... pending on this thick six shirt. Um, you know, yeah, except for that bit. But uh, you know, <laughs> it, Dan Dan's got some gripes, but otherwise we're 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 good on we're on good terms. Um, download the PointsBet app and use the promo code PucketProp to get one hundred percent of your deposit matched up to one thousand dollars in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code PucketProp. That is Bucket P R O B. All one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet when you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. And use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
call one eight hundred gambler. All right. Uh, in uh, in the spirit of the thick six shirts, um, and the violation of Dan's uh, you know, personal brand, um, <laughs> this is uh, we're we're ranking the the hog mollies, uh, this week. Dan has put together, uh, much like last week's quarterback rankings, a uh, a big old spreadsheet uh, that I've got <laughs> up in front of me of offensive line stats of uh, all varieties. And uh, he has used those to put together uh, tiered offensive line rankings for the Big Ten. We are going to go from bottom to top, uh, starting with, let's see, what's the lowest tier? Seven. Tier seven. Not quite as, I, I think the quarterbacks had more tiers. That was a very yeah, uh, nuanced uh, tiered ranking. <laughs> Look, the, the tiers are what they say, what I say they are. And um, I'm making these, usually I'm doing these late at night. Um, and I'm trying to differentiate between like, three bottom tier uh big 10 offensive lines um this is sick shit uh that takes me, that takes it takes me a long time and when you're, I don't you're any sicko, bitching about you, it you start splitting hairs yeah i heard yeah. way too much bitching about this last time and honestly <laughs> you're all on notice okay this is something this is like when your mother makes like a like lasagna and it takes a long time and it's like look is it the best lasagna no, but you're not going to tell your mother that. And in Did this I put a little am... bit too much Tonga Vailoa in the lasagna? Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, you know, but you're not going to in this and in this situation, I am your mom um, and Ace is your dad. Um, and Ace is going to Ace is telling you not to be disrespectful to your mother. She worked long and hard on this. Uh, yes. This spreadsheet. Um, but anyway, uh, in, in tier seven, um, got two offensive lines that uh, one I would expect to be here, and the other I was a little bit surprised by, but I don't think I can really argue about it. Um, don't you have three teams in this tier? Oh, sorry, three. Um, <laughs> sorry, one One I'm definitely surprised by. The other two, it's kind of like a different situation. But uh, yeah. the teams are in order from worst to best. Iowa at 14. The surprise. Penn, <laughs> that's, that's the big surprise. Um, Penn State at 13 and Minnesota at 12. So I'll give a little bit of an overview. Um, Iowa here is uh, was really just not good at anything last year. Um, they they had the, the highest tackle for loss rate. Uh, they gave up the most tackles for loss out of anyone in the Big Ten. Um, they were the worst at running. Like, I mean, line yards, they were terrible, uh, worse than anyone else in the Big Ten. Um, gave up a ton of sacks on early downs. Uh, and uh, they were okay on short yardage, um, but you know, just like overall, really not good at anything. Um, really, really bad, bad tackle for loss and uh, line yards numbers uh, in, uh, specifically. And uh, that's surprising given you know the the general. Um, I don't know the the general. What what word am I looking for here? Oh my gosh! Um, Competence reputation, of okay. yeah, <laughs> reputation, reputation of, of Iowa's uh, offensive line. You know, they're kind of looked at as like a lesser Wisconsin, um, but they were bad last year. And even though they made the Big Ten championship game, um, I think we all kind of saw that was a little bit of a fraud. And their offense was not good. They gave up a lot of sacks. They were not able to run the ball. Um, as and far the as sacks what they're figure is alarming because they are a uh, a quick passing. They don't throw the ball downfield. They just don't. No, exactly. And so to give up that many sacks in in this type of offense that really tries to limit how many bad things you can do by also limiting how many good things you can do, that's really, really terrible. Um, So, and then, you know, I also rank this by, it's not just about like the numbers from last year, because obviously there's different uh, people coming and going. Um, 
so you know that's that's part of it as well but uh they're they're only returning about uh 60 they're take, returning basically three starters um and it should be noted they're losing tyler linderbaum i think that's his name right Ace? yes um they're uh like one of the best centers in the nation. So that's a huge, huge loss. He's going to be the first center that, off the board in the draft this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a huge loss off of an offensive line that was already bad. Um, and, you know, so they're returning less than average in the Big Ten. Um, and they're also uh, – they're, I was actually done a pretty good job recruiting, um, but a lot of their, like, you know, four, four and five-star recruits are younger. Uh, they don't have a lot of talent in the upper classes, which an offensive line, you know, you're really looking for um, – you're looking for guys to contribute after they've already been on campus a few years. Um, they're, they're young overall, uh, just not a lot of upperclassmen in general. So you're looking at an offensive line in summary that is bad, was bad last year, is losing their best player, doesn't bring back a lot in general, and is also like young. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. This this offensive <laughs> line is is one of the worst in the Big Ten. Um some players I am going to, I am after saying all those bad things, I'm going to name a couple players because I, I do want to try to give, uh, you know, give these guys their, uh, their due here. We don't talk about uh, the, the fat guys too much. Um, Mason Richmond, Nick Jajong and Connor Colby are uh, the returners. Uh, those guys are actually pretty decent, um, like in and of themselves, but like this offensive line in a whole was very bad. Um, Ace, any, any thoughts on Iowa before I move on to the next team in this uh, tier? I mean, the tough part for them, uh, I'll keep it quick, is that even if they do improve, it might be hard to tell because uh, Tyler Goodson, their running back, is gone, and he tested spectacularly well, uh, I think, at both the Combine and their Pro Day. Uh, but his testing numbers were really, really good. He should have produced a lot more, and they just didn't open anything up for them. But they still have the same situation at quarterback and uh, the skill positions. And given, I mean, we we talked about Spencer Petras at length last week, but um, teams can feel comfortable loading the box against Iowa. So even if they get better at blocking, we might not be able to tell. Yeah, yeah. And and it's hard to isolate, like, how much of this is, you know, teams loading the box and whatever. But, again, we can only really measure what's there. And I'm not going to try to parse, like, oh, you know, there are these extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Um, so also just should say, like, in terms of what we're tracking here, the stats I looked at were tackle for loss rate. That's just how many runs went for a loss. Um, power down success rate. So, like, that's third and fourth and two or less. Like, how often are you picking that up? Um, line yards, which is basically like a stat that is generally used for offensive line, where you give the offensive line credit for the first three yards of any run. And because uh, that's generally how much you block for. Um, and then uh, just the sack rates on standard and passing down. So, you know, how often are, are you getting sacked on, you know, first down and 10 versus like third down and 10, more or less. Um, so with that said, the next offensive line, definitely not a surprise on this list that is also in, in the bottom tier, uh, Penn State. Um, Penn State, similar to Iowa, was just not good at anything last year. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of keep it short and sweet. I'm trying not like over 10% of their runs went for a loss, um, on, (laughs) on power down. This is one of the worst stats in, so I will say this one, um, on power down. So that's again, third and fourth and two or less. Yeah. (laughs) That is a deep red. Uh, they went for 51%. So they only picked up a first down with two yards to go or less on, uh, 50% of the time. So, I mean, that's, really really horrible nobody else um, in the big 10 was in the uh bottom half of the 60s even yeah no it was well i think purdue it doesn't matter. oh sorry yeah, except for purdue. that was 
except for Purdue. That was the worst by far. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible stat. Um, not good at, so they actually, they were okay at, um, I do want to mention this. They were okay at preventing uh, sacks on standard downs. However, I think that's because they run a lot of RPOs. Um, so when you're passing the ball like quickly a, a lot on early downs, um, you're able to kind of avoid sacks, which is I think something that we see as a pattern um, in a lot of this. Yeah, Sean um, Clifford's also uh, slippery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, uh, they're generally pretty talented. I mean, they've got more blue chips than most of the conference. Uh, but they're, you know, I mean, and they've got, they've, they've been got squandering line talent for a decade now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we're going to need like... to see it to believe it at Penn state. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just, there's no reason this offensive line should be as bad as it is, but it is. I mean, they're, they're also, they're losing a lot from their line last year. Um, they're bringing back, you know, an average amount, about 60% of their snaps. Uh, but you know, wasn't good at anything last year. It's also, it doesn't even have the, the reputation of Iowa. Um, so yeah, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't be in the bottom tier. Um, Penn state can't protect the quarterback and it's really the one thing, like we've talked about this before that's standing between them and having like a legitimately contending team because they've got a lot, a lot of talent. Um, but they cannot figure it out on the offensive line. So, uh, moving up to the uh, ACE, any thoughts on Penn state before I move on? No, I think we, I think we talked enough about Penn state. Yeah, it's it's been bad for so long. Yep, absolutely. Not much to say there. Um, so the next one on here, uh, Minnesota. Um, so Minnesota actually was an okay offensive line last year. They were good at running the ball. They had uh, a lot of uh, really big bodies. Um, they had a really good running back uh, in uh, – oh, my God. I'm totally going his name. Yep, Mo Abraham. Um, so really good at running the ball, good at preventing sacks on standard downs because, again, they ran a lot of RPOs. Um, not good at, at uh, actually protecting the quarterback when it was a passing down, but you know that was uh, that was their worst stat by far. So overall, like a pretty good run blocking offensive line last year. The thing is, they only return thirty three percent of their snaps. Um, they're bringing in uh, Chuck Filiaga from Michigan, so um, familiar name there. But even when I count the transfer snaps towards um, you know re- returning snaps, they really just don't bring back a lot. Um, so I've got them this bottom tier because I feel like. Uh, Consistency on the offensive line, returning starters is is so important in a position where like it really does take a while to get your guys seasoned, um, and it's it's really hard to see like a team that's bringing back you know again like a starter and a half basically to have a competent offensive line. Um, they they have a lot of upperclassmen, but like again, this is they're losing a lot, and uh, it's even though they were like okay last year, I think it's fair to put them in this bottom tier. Um, Ace, any any thoughts there? I mean, this I feel bad because you know I've I, so far I've just been punishing bad offensive lines that deserve <laughs> it. But Minnesota actually like is okay. Uh, but I feel I still feel like when you lose that much and you're not like a a football factory, it's going to be hard to like maintain that level of play. Yeah, and I also thought that they were kind of flawed as an offensive line a little bit. First of all, they're this is another team where the uh, standard down and passing down sack rate have uh, a huge discrepancy because. Uh, the team runs a, in Minnesota's case, even more than Penn State, runs a shit ton of RPOs. Um, and they were kind of built just to mash. I mean, they, they had Daniel Falele, the 6'8", 400-pound uh, Australian guy uh, at right tackle. And uh, it w- that was the reason that they were good at, uh, you know, moving guys in the run game, but it also contributed to that uh, 10% passing down sack rate because guys like that don't tend to move very well. Um, and so I, I, I think with them turning over 
you know, like you said, basically three and a half starters and having not recruited particularly well uh, on the offensive line, at least in terms of getting like the kind of instant plug and play guys that you'd want to have in this case. Uh, yeah, I expect them to struggle. Maybe not as much as Penn State, uh, but um, and Iowa for that matter. But uh, it, I, I wouldn't. I'm not arguing vigorously with them being in the bottom tier, given they have by far the least returning production, and that tends to be the uh, a very strong indicator of uh, offensive line success. I do want to shout out um, one of the best offensive linemen in the conference on Minnesota, uh, who deserves mention, John Michael Schmitz. Um, he is a, a sixth-year senior. Um, he took 95% of the snaps from last year, and he was very good. Um, so, you know, give give him that. Um, I, I just I want to make sure that we get we get as much uh, publicity for these guys as possible because this is probably the only the only time a lot of these guys are going to get mentioned, um, you know, on this podcast until they pick up a holding penalty in September. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this next tier, uh, moving on here to tier six. Um, we've got two offensive lines that were like kind of half offensive lines last year, good at good at passing and then bad at running or vice versa, um, but are replacing a lot and generally like should probably struggle. We've got uh, Michigan State at ranked 11th and Illinois ranked 10th. Um, two quite frankly, uh, identical programs in pretty much <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, I'm surprised, like I, I follow Michigan State's roster pretty closely. I was surprised that they're actually not in the bottom tier, but I think objectively like you know, they're, they're not as in bad shape as the other uh, three programs here. Um, basically, the, the the story here, Michigan State and Illinois, very similar offensive lines. Uh, however, they're kind of reversed. Michigan State was pretty good as a passing, um, pass-protecting offensive line, but bad at running. Um, and I do want to mention Michigan State stats because they're pretty remarkable given how good um, – Kenneth Walker III was. <laughs> so Michigan State uh, averaged 1.78 yards, uh, line yards on standard down. So they're on average like blocking less than two yards down the field. And keep in mind that Kenneth Walker won the Doak Walker Award. Um, also, almost 12% of their runs went for y- negative yards. So, I mean, just think about how good Kenneth Walker was. Um you know, yeah, and then think back to how many runs where Kenneth Walker broke multiple tackles in the backfield. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, they, they were but they were good at, uh, at protecting, uh, protecting the passing game. Um, so, you know, that, that's at least one good thing they do. They're they're losing a lot, um, not losing as much as Minnesota, but they're really, you know, not bringing back a lot of snaps. It also should be mentioned that. They basically only have two tackles on their roster for the most part in this, in this, uh, the, the, for the most Why part, do they in always this, do this. <laughs> it, it's amazing. The lack of tackles. I mean, they're this starting to recruit a little bit the, better, but <laughs> this is like the Penn state line thing. Michigan state hasn't had more than like three true tackles on their roster at any one time since like 2013. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is like, it's like just like recruit tackles. I don't know what Mark D'Antonio was doing. Um, but I think the story here is this is really Mark D'Antonio's later classes coming home to roost. They don't have any blue chip <laughs> offensive. They don't have any uh, blue chip offensive lineman on the entire roster. So, you know, I, I know stars aren't everything, but that's bad. They do um, you know, not not returning a lot. Uh, and I think uh, what I was going to say is also like they have two tackles, but one of them um, left the uh, program like halfway through last year with uh what would seem like personal issues. So, I mean, hopefully he's, everything's good with him, but you're looking at a pretty, like he's coming back and like, that's very good. And I'm glad I'm, you know, happy for him, but 
that's that's like one of the guys that you're relying on to be your you know you're like best tackle so as from a football perspective uh there's there's really like you're going to be scrounging around for for tackles here um some guys to mention here jd duplain uh is uh was was pretty good last year um but you know that's that's basically the only solid starter they have coming back um illinois kind of a reverse of michigan state uh also just no blue chips not a lot of uh they're very both of these teams are very very young and also not talented um <laughs> that sounds harsh but that's kind of how it is uh they were illinois was very good at running the ball last year um 88 power down success rate that's really good the best in the league um basically only five percent of their of their runs went for uh negative yards um but they were bad at protecting the passer um and they're replacing a lot not very talented a uh, lot of young guys um not a lot of upperclassmen so just these are two you know really that's the story of both of these is uh, offensive lines that were good at one thing, bad at another, and replacing a ton, um, and generally should struggle this year. Uh, not a lot of like you. You'd have to look pretty hard to to figure out a way that they're going to come up with above average units this year. Yeah, it's it's gross to have Michigan State in the same tier as, as Illinois, but it's also, I mean, given those two programs have a combined zero blue chip offensive lineman, hard to argue with it. Yeah, I mean, and again, like similar, again, in a similar way, you've got uh, the Lovey Smith recruiting classes coming home to roost and the Mark D'Antonio recruiting classes coming home to roost. And this is a position where you might be able to cover up the tra- with the transfer portal in some areas, like the skill positions, but offensive line is really one that you need to grow naturally. And um, these are, I think these two programs are really going to feel it on the offensive line this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can patch so, over one spot like Michigan is trying to do, but you can't do it with five. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one up, uh, Indiana, they're in a tier of their own in tier five. Um, the reason they're in a tier of their own is that I couldn't justify them putting, justify putting them in the, uh, the like tiers of, you know, the, the, the tiers below them, but I couldn't justify them actually putting them into like the, the realm of like an actually good offensive line. Um, they were just pretty like below average at everything uh, besides being pretty good at like converting power downs. Um, really nothing to point out here. Just bad at pass protecting, but not horrible. Bad at running, but not horrible. Um, again, no blue chips. So that's bad. However, they do have a lot of upperclassmen. They have 12 upperclassmen, which is uh, second most in the conference. And they are returning 60% of their snaps. Um, so, you know, that's that's pretty darn good uh, in terms of like, you know, bringing back experience. So, you know, you, you, you just assume some uh, improvement there and maybe a better offensive scheme. And, you know, this could be like a halfway decent offensive line. It's not as bad as the one below it, the ones below it, but it's also like, you know, by no stretch of the imagination is this good. Um, I don't even know if I have really much to say here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe the line that has uh, the most room of the teams we've mentioned so far to actually fall down. Um, just because, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but Indiana just kind of feels like a mess as a program. And one area where the uh, uh, dysfunctional programs, that one area where dysfunction tends to show up in programs is the offensive line in particular. And uh, uh, Michigan's fans are pretty familiar with how that works. Um, it's, it's just an area of the team that requires like everybody to be on the same page and maybe the, uh, you know, getting Nick Sheridan out of there and getting new offensive coaches in will solve the problem for Indiana. But um, 
uh, you know, it could also go in the opposite direction with them having to learn a new scheme. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what direction they go in this year because this could be, you know, Indiana can either kind of bounce back to the level they've shown they can reach recently or they can uh, return to historical Indiana, which is uh, somewhere between bad and terrible. Yeah, the middle of the Big Ten East is going to be interesting this year because I feel like there's a lot of – I feel like Indiana and Maryland might have better – similar rosters to Michigan State, but it feels like Michigan State's very much on the way up, and those other two programs are kind of like in a little bit of free fall. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Names to know, Matthew Bedford and Luke Haggard. Um, Of note, uh, Zach Carpenter is also on Indiana. Um, He was a a transfer from Michigan. Uh, didn't play much last year, so uh, we'll be interesting to see. I mean, he was pretty good at Michigan, so, you know, some upside there if, if he can uh, reach his potential. forgot about that. Yeah, uh, kind of a weird one. Um, up next, Tier 4, we have uh, Purdue ranked 8th and Nebraska ranked 7th. So these are offensive lines where it's like, okay, you're you're now – we're now into, like, passable – generally passable offensive line territory. Um, again, sort of like mirror stories here. Purdue, very good at protecting in the passing game. Um, Purdue's more of a passing team, so that's not surprising. Not very good in the run game. Uh, Really bad at converting power downs. um, Bad at running in general. But uh, pretty good at protecting the passer, and that's what Purdue likes to do. So, you know, uh, a difference in playing styles here. Nebraska, um, pretty good at running. Uh, It should be noted they were bad at, like, running in power downs. They were a lot better on standard downs, um, which is probably, you know, that I feel like Scott Frost is a good related. job. <laughs> yes. Very quarterback related. I would, I would definitely agree. That was going to, what I was going to say, um, but they didn't give up a lot of tackles for loss, but they did give up a ton of sacks. So kind of, again, you know, a, a I might here. have dropped Purdue uh, down a, a tier. Uh, yeah. Or Nebraska down a tier personally. Yeah, I, I see where you're saying here. Um, the one thing that gave me hope, uh, I would say, is that um, they have 13 upperclassmen, which is a lot. Um, and those upperclassmen are generally pretty talented. So there is some room, I feel, to uh, go up here. Um, one thing of note, you know, and they're both returning. Uh, Purdue's returning 75% of their snaps, which is a lot. Um, Nebraska's returning 68, which is also uh, a lot. Um, or an average amount, but whatever. That, that's both enough of the offensive line where it's like, okay, you can see an upward tra- trajectory. Um, I will say Nebraska, you know, we're taking PFF with a grain of salt, but Nebraska, PFF absolutely hated Nebraska's offensive lineman last year. So maybe, you know, Same. maybe there's something to it. I could see, <laughs> I could see, I could see an argument for Nebraska going lower, but I feel like, you know, being good at one thing at least is enough to get you like in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, I just feel like that, that the one thing they were good at was like Adrian Martinez escaping the pocket or that know. that could definitely be true. Um, I, I I would not at all. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't be able to like argue with that too much. Um, names to know here uh, for Purdue, Gus Hartwig um, and for Nebraska. Line, oh, yeah, that's a great offensive line name. Um, and for Nebraska, we have, sorry, I'm open. <laughs> These are a whole bunch of, I'm going crazy spreadsheet mode right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> for Nebraska, we have um, Turner Corcoran. So those are two good offensive line names. I mean, generally like a lot of good, a, good, a lot of good Midwest offensive line names as I was going through this. Yeah. Um, John Michael Schmitz earlier was a, a oh yeah. That's a tremendous one. That's a tremendous one. Um, moving up here into uh, tier three. So these are like offensive lines I would expect to be decent. 
Um, and these are all like pretty crazy surprises, but I don't think I can really argue with them given the stats. Um, we have Maryland at six, Northwestern at five, and Rutgers at four. And before you start like just laughing at me, I, I'm, I'm this is Dan's predicted order of finish in the Big Ten. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely, overall. of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Maryland, uh, Maryland was pretty mediocre at everything. To be fair, um, they were good at protect, protecting the passer. Uh, really good standard down stack rate, but again, I think that's a uh, RPO thing. But generally, like below average to average at everything. The thing with Maryland that I'm super high on is they are returning literally every single player that took a snap for them last year. Um, and that's like, no one else has that level of returning, uh, snaps. And even if those players are like not tremendous, that level of continuity is enough, I think, to bump them up into like, okay, this, this is at least going to be an average offensive line. Um, that, you know, if they get better across the board, they will be like, they will be a pretty good offensive line. Um, and I know that that's like really crazy to say, cause Maryland's offensive lines usually suck, but you can't return literally everyone and get worse. This is also um, the first offensive line that I would defend uh, um, because of their quarterback in terms of, <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't, I don't mean to have this refer back to Oh last my week. God. Every, we're going to talk about Talia. This is a Talia talk about a low podcast <laughs> now. We're talking I about really Talia every year. Uh, but uh, Talia does have a habit of holding onto the ball in the pocket for a long time. So it, it does make sense that I, I think some of that sack rate um, can be uh, pinned on the quarterback. Um, once you get to the NFL level, uh, you will hear a lot of people say sacks are a quarterback stat. Uh, I think that's a little bit less true at the college level because uh, the just level of offensive line play is significantly lower. Um, but uh, I think that Terps offensive line uh, did have to pass block for a, a pretty long time back there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, sh- shitting on one on my first uh, big take by, or no complimenting my take in this episode by shitting on my take in last one. That's awesome. Yes. Thanks Ace. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> next offensive line here. Oh, sorry. Names to know uh, Spencer Anderson, Mason Lunsford. Uh, those are pretty Mason Lunsford's a good offensive line yes, for sure. Absolutely. Um, next one up here, Rutgers. So Rutgers and you're going to think I'm crazy was pretty good last year. Um, only, only about 5% of their runs went for a loss. Uh, they had, they, they blocked really well for the run on standard downs, not as well on power downs. So that could be quarterback related as well. Could be but Isaiah on Pacheco pass, related. <laughs> could be Isaiah Pacheco related as well. Um, but on passing downs, they only, they were really, really good at protecting the quarterback. Um, a little bit below average on standard downs, which is weird, but they, they actually gave up less stack sacks on passing down than they did on standard downs, which is wild. Um, but like really some good stats here. Uh, they also returned 12 upperclassmen and 81% of their snaps. So like, this is an old offensive line that was pretty good last year and returns a lot. Um, I, I don't really see why they shouldn't be good. Uh, this this feels like it could be one of the better units um, in the conference. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I watched them play Michigan last year and I, I didn't generally feel like, you know, Michigan certainly got the better of them as they did most offensive lines last year, but I didn't think they were like hilariously blowing them away. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is the tier where it's like, I, I want to argue, but then I look at the teams below them and I can't <laughs> that's, you know, what, and that's the thing that I feel like I'm going to come back to more and more is that the, you you're going to have, someone's going to have to tell me like, okay, like you don't think Aiden O'Connell is the second best quarterback in the big 10. Like you tell me who should be above him because it's 
Yeah, okay. So, JJ, JJ McCarthy. Excuse me. Okay. A non Michigan fan is going to have to tell me who should be in front of him. JJ McCarthy still. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. 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 All right. I'll, I'll just look. I can be a homer. For, I can put Michigan number one in every single one of these if we want to. Let's but do I'm, it. I'm trying to be an objective journalist. Good for the ratings. <laughs> um, up next, uh, probably, you know, pretty. this top three is pretty straightforward here. Um, Wisconsin is, or sorry. Uh, yeah. That was tier three, Northwestern and Rutgers. Um, names to know for Rutgers, I will. Oh, we have a we have a great name to know for Rutgers. Um, hold on, uh, this the trust me, the payoff here is going to be worth it. Um, in terms of players that are like actually going to take snaps, the the names to actually know here for uh, players that are going to take snaps: J.D. Dorenzo, so great classic Italian name, um, and Willie Tyler the third transfer from ULM. Uh, however. A name to know just for, you know, pure uh, uh, comical sake. Um, Rutgers has an offensive line name, named offensive lineman named Terrence Salami. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a great, that's like a, an all-time <laughs> offensive line name. And it had to be said on this podcast. Otherwise, what are we doing? Uh, Terrence Salami. Come it's on. just so simple. It's so simple and so good. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, next up, we've got tier two. This tier is Wisconsin ranked third and Ohio State ranked second. Um, I know we put a, a Wisconsin on pack watch, but again, like <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to show me who's going to be, you know, above them. Sure. Can. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were, they're, they're a really good rushing offensive line. Interestingly, um, they were really good at running the ball on standard downs. And uh, really good at not taking tackles for loss. However, they were actually pretty bad on power downs. So, which, which I would say is a sign that they have a very, very good running back, and maybe you have some trouble uh, blocking all their assignments. Yeah, that's that's fair. Braylon um, Allen is really good. <laughs> <laughs> they also had uh, the lowest standard down sack rate. They only gave up stand, uh, sacks on uh, standard downs. 2.1% of the time. However, they had um, a pretty mediocre pass down sack rate. So, and I will mention that I think when I was looking at it, like that's taken way down just by the Michigan game alone, where we had like eight sacks or whatever. Um, so, but, but that said, I mean, like it is interesting what this offensive line's good at and what it isn't good at. Um, but like, you know, they're good at enough that they, they should, that they, I think they're solidly ranked third and uh, they're, they've also recruited the position really well. Um, and they're returning uh, a good amount of uh, starters. So, you know, I, I I am not in love with this offensive line, but there's enough talent and just general, like, reputation here and actual performance that I think they deserve to be third in the conference. Again, I, I like – I'm pretty like, – I still don't feel great about Wisconsin's offensive line right now, but at least compared to where it was in the past. And, I, I mean – I'm certainly not going to argue for Rutgers, Northwestern, or Maryland to jump them. So, uh, yeah, carry on. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, names to know, Jack Nelson. Uh, not really any great. Um, in a huge upset, not a ton of great offensive line names on this roster. Um, that and that's, that's a big disappointment. disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number two here, uh, in the same tier as Wisconsin, uh, but, you know, not number one. Um, we have Ohio State. Um, so Ohio State returns a good amount of its snaps. Uh, they are obviously very talented, um, ton of blue chip players. Uh, also, you know, a good amount of them are, are older. Um, they're pretty much good at everything. Not a great running offensive line. 
Um, they, they were okay at running on standard downs, pretty good at, at converting power downs. They did give up uh, tackles for loss on uh, 10.5% of their runs, which is pretty high um, considering how good they are at everything else. Uh, but the thing here is like they're a tremendous pass blocking offensive line um, and they're not bad enough at running to like knock them down a tier. Um, they're very talented. You know, they, they've, they've got more talent than anyone else in the conference. Uh, and they're, you know, they're very good. Um, they're just at everything besides avoiding tackles for loss. Um, so not really sure. Like, again, am I blown away by this uh, Ohio State offensive line? No, I don't think it's like the dominant unit that they had a couple years under Urban Meyer, but they're not bad enough in anything to justify them being anywhere else but number two in the conference. Yeah, that sack rate uh, is particularly impressive given uh, C.J. Stroud is pretty hesitant to leave the pocket, so yeah, uh, yeah, they're not getting bailed out by the QB much. Absolutely, I mean that's that's really true, and uh, they also do just a lot of like pure drop back passing. You know, this is like a very like NFL style offense where they're just acting, they're asking their offensive line to, um, you know, protect and uh, and protect a pretty stationary target. So the fact that they're only giving up sacks on uh, 3.7% of their passing downs is really, really good. Um, but I think they probably would have been uh, number one if Michigan hadn't knocked down those sack rates by a couple of notches. Um, and uh, with all that said, uh, in tier one alone is Michigan. And uh, I don't think this is Homer. me being a homer. No, um, <laughs> this is, uh, I think this is a legitimate pick. Um, Michigan is the only offensive line in the conference that is really good at everything. Um, they only gave up tackles for loss on like 6% of their runs, uh, converted a lot of power downs. And that's despite the, the struggles they had earlier in the season. Um, mm-hmm. they ended up converting like six, uh, over 75% of their power downs, which, uh, is, is good. Um, the best, or sorry, the second best, uh, line yard, uh, standard down line yards in the conference. Um, and, uh, you know, th- they have some really good running backs, but again, like you're, you, there's not a lot of tackles for loss. Like that means that you're hitting your assignments most of the time. Um, really good at protecting the passer. Uh, they had the advantage of having a quarterback that got rid of the ball quickly, but still like they, they really did not give up sacks, uh, all year. Um, and also they're, they're returning 75% of their snaps, which is pretty good. And uh, they are, they have adding uh, a Remington finalist. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Adding a Remington finalist. Um, and they're one of the most talented uh, offensive lines in the, in the uh, conference as well. They've got 11 upperclassmen, six of which are blue chips um, adding. a And one of those non blue chips is a Remington finalist, like Ace said. So, I mean, like, you look also, across when we're the board, on, uh, you know, when we're talking about names to watch, Olu Oluwatimi most definitely qualifies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like this Michigan, I feel like is there's, you know, Ohio State might have had a uh, might have had an argument if they didn't give up like a ton of tackles for loss. Um, but, you know, when there's nothing that you're bad at and you're returning a lot and, you know, they won the Joe Moore Award a lot award last year, like. I, I will say, like, I didn't think Michigan's offensive line was dominant all year, but when you look at, like, the full season numbers, it's it's hard to justify anyone else being number one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, argument here, Ace. No, I mean, you just reminded me that Michigan won the Joe Moore Award. And, well, I, I have some skepticism that Michigan was actually the best offensive line in the country last year. Um, 
they were certainly very good, especially on the ground. Uh, there was there's no arguing with their ability to mash teams, especially after what they did to Ohio State. Uh, I mean, the only defense that could really slow them down uh, once they kind of unleashed their full playbook was Georgia's. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic about this O-line being good. Uh, and, you know, Sharon Moore certainly seems to have taken to that uh, O-line coach job rather quickly. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it's a good combination of, you know, you've got a, a – senior left tackle in Ryan Hayes, uh, a grad transfer center. And then you've got, you know, some younger up and comers like, uh, you know, Keegan and Zinter at guard, especially Zinter is a guy who looks like he's going to be, you know, a future NFL player and, and somebody who uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in his second year as a starter. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this, like uh, I think in, a, in an earlier pod, but this is going to like the one weakness this offensive line had last year was that, um, it, I would say there's two weaknesses. I would say generally against like elite level pass rushers, they couldn't quite hold up one-on-one on the edge, but that was like two games. And even in those games, it wasn't a disaster. And finally um, a football team, a college football team that doesn't have that problem unless they yeah, have absolutely. a first I, I would say, tackle. Yeah. Generally like the off the, uh, even the best teams in college football, like if you have an elite pass rusher, you're going to get home. And we saw that against uh, Ohio, you know, Michigan's defensive ends against Ohio state. So um, and the other weakness I would say is like their center, Andrew Gastardis was, was very good at organizing the offensive line, but not a mauler. And this year, you know, you're basically taking those same guards that, um, those same guards that were in their first years last year and, and were very good and adding, um, a mauler at center. Like this offensive line is going to be huge. Um, they're well-drilled. They run a scheme that's like very, you know, power based. And a lot of these guys are like perfectly suited for what they're trying to do. And uh, they've got two really good running backs, which we'll get to, I'm sure. And, you know, our running back section uh, when we do our, our, you know, our running back rankings episode. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know this, off, this, this running game, if, if it's anything besides elite next year, um, it, it, I don't know, something went wrong because there's a lot going for this, uh, this uh, offensive line and, um, you know, the skill position talent that's going to be running behind it. Yeah, I mean, given what we've just run through, the only offensive line that I could really see being better than Michigan's is Ohio State's if they live up to all their blue chip potential. But, um, I mean, given how well they played last year and the fact that um, the only thing I could see really bringing Michigan Michigan down, um, and I think it would be more perception-wise than ability-wise, is if J.J. McCarthy became – the primary quarterback and uh I, he's just going to take more sacks than Cade McNamara let's yeah. <laughs> just to be yeah, blunt sure. uh, and you know there there will be more big plays for Michigan there's more upside there but um you know as I mentioned earlier sacks uh you know at least in large part a quarterback stat and uh certainly when you have somebody who plays the style of McCarthy um that would you know That'd be something where Michigan's numbers would get worse, but not necessarily their actual line play. Um, but uh, Ohio State is the only one that has the potential to just like out talent Michigan. Yeah, and I would say if they add JJ McCarthy, like the run, the rushing numbers like could just be. I- I'm like salivating thinking about how good the running game could be if, if JJ McCarthy's the quarterback. Yeah, and they actually let him. You know, I mean, 
uh, uh, we won't get into this conversation, but they actually let him keep the ball sometimes. Um, with with the running backs they have and the offensive line they have and the ability that J.J. McCarthy has as a runner, like this could really be like a truly, truly elite um, running game. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna start stop like just gushing about you know the potential of this offense because. Um, I, I know that I'm going to get annoyed like at the first three and out they have against uh, <laughs> against uh, whoever they're playing the first week, I guess, is it? Uh, I'm, I, t- I totally forgot. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Whoever they're playing the first week. It's, a, I know it's I'm such a crummy annoyed. non-conference schedule. Yeah. I don't think UConn is the first game, but they play them. <laughs> yeah, they play. They, and that's really all that needs to be said um, <laughs> about that. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's how I see offense line in the conference. Um, some takeaways. I think I saw some like, you know, some trends that teams that run more RPOs are more um, are more likely to avoid sacks on early downs, but also more likely to give them up on later downs. Um, I would say that you know I was I was surprised by you know Wisconsin not being able to convert on short yardage, which is very weird, um, and I was honestly shocked and horrified at just how bad Penn State and Iowa are. <laughs> Penn State, that, I expected that, but Iowa, I did not. Yeah, no, I mean, it was really bad, uh, just objectively. <laughs> Penn State, like, it's just, I, I think I think that's one team where, like, I, I just, I have such hatred for teams that recruit well and can't figure out the offensive line. Like, that to me is, like, that's football blasphemy. Like, not, like, the most important part of a team is the offensive line. And to have everything else figured out and just have terrible offensive lines year in and year out, um, that's straight to the Hague for them. Uh <laughs> And then they're, obviously they're only uh, getting by on receiving talent. It's ridiculous because <laughs> they're wasting their running backs and quarterbacks. I just don't think that those guys could do. And even when they had, you know, Saquon Barkley, like those runs were all him a hundred percent, you know, um, other takeaways, uh, Kenneth Walker is really, really good um, because mm-hmm. Michigan state's offensive line was bad at run blocking and he still won the Doak Walker. And uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't get enough credit last year. Like he really was tremendous. And, uh, I think they're going to, I think Michigan state's going to struggle without him this year, at least, at least from a running game perspective. Um, and then just generally the whole Rutgers Northwestern Maryland tier, like, I don't think you can really argue with them being there. Um, but it certainly doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, it's just hard to find, you know, which of it, which of the teams below them is going to move up. I, I guess, <sighs> Nebraska might have the talent, but they're probably they were the worst performing. <laughs> uh, and I mean, Purdue's good at what they try to do. So but what if you're they do is like, also kind of covering up for not having a right. Yeah, line. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the Purdue Purdue is like a you know they know what they are in terms of like they're not they don't have a lot of offensive line talent, and it's hard to build a consistently good offensive line at that level. So. They're very much like a, we just pass block. <laughs> We're just yeah. here to pass block. <laughs> um, yeah, the, but yeah, the I mean, everyone else has like- power down success rate for them is alarming. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, if Illinois was returning more, maybe you say that they they could, you know, work their way up, but uh, And you just said that like, about Illinois. So that, I mean, yeah, it's bleak. It's bleak. It really is. I mean, like there's, there's not a lot of hope below like the- Below, like, you know, the, the Purdue line, it really does get bleak quickly. Um, so, yeah. 
And, and also, Rutgers, Katie Western and Maryland are all above <laughs> that line. Katie just texted me. She's hearing me talk shit about Purdue's offensive line, and she said, "Talk shit, get hit." Um, she said, "I hear yeah, you." Purdue's quarterbacks will get hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Look, we we gave we gave Purdue a lot of credit in the previous episode. So we did. A, we're all, we're all on the Aiden O'Connell train. Yes. Number one AOC fan, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm I, I'm not going to riff on that at all. <laughs> Do you have any teams that could uh, that you think could move uh, a particularly large amount in either direction uh, beyond what we've talked about? Um, I think I said I think I said I, I could see Nebraska falling off pretty hard. Um, yeah, and Indiana. I mean, they do have a Nebraska does have 13 upperclassmen and their experience. So, like, I could see them. They're, they're in I either direction them, wild card, I think. Yeah, they could really go either way. Um, you know, I feel like it's hard to really say which one. Uh, I could see Maryland jumping just because bringing back that much continuity, like you almost have to get a lot better. Um, but I don't know if I would, they, they're not going to jump into like the Ohio State, Wisconsin tier. So like maybe they jumped the, to like a tier in between Rutgers and Wisconsin, um, which is bizarre to say. Um, I mean, I guess I could see... God, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could see Iowa jumping just because, like, they have the reputation. Like, we know they can produce offensive lines, and I literally have them ranked last. And I think it's fair, but at the same time, it's like <laughs> nowhere to go like, but I, up. <laughs> yeah, right. There's nowhere to go but up, and it's like maybe that just something was off last year. You know, I don't know. Uh, I guess Penn State, like, they have the. T- no, I'm not gonna do. That. I'm not. You know, <laughs> don't, I already, don't, I already don't con- talk I condemned that. Penn State. I condemned Penn State already. Um, <laughs> Yeah, other than that, though, like I don't, I don't know if I could see like, I could see Wisconsin falling off a little bit because we, we already called them fraudulent, and I feel like I feel like years as the years go on with Wisconsin, we're seeing them kind of like fall further and further from grace in terms of like their platonic ideal of a program. So I could just see them like continue to regress a little bit, um, but yeah, and then the whole Rutgers Northwestern Maryland tier that could explode in any direction. Yeah, because <laughs> they all bring back a lot, and they were all good at different things. But they all also are Rutgers Northwestern and Maryland. Mm. It's, it's such a bummer to be saddled with that. <laughs> it's a constant negative. Is just <laughs> it was like, well, you know, we, like Rutgers could have the best uh, the best uh, roster in the country, and it's like, but you know, like it is Rutgers. Like this is Rutgers football we're trying to play here. So. Hey, uh, 1879 champions or whatever. Um, Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Put some respect on their name. <laughs> I, I uh, won't. <laughs> fair. Uh, this podcast does not respect Rutgers, and I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, follow uh, at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast. Um, I just put up a... Uh, lengthy essay uh going over eli brooks's uh michigan career um please rate review and subscribe to this year free podcast and uh use the promo code bucket problem at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code bucket prop on points bet thanks for listening and have a great day